So once we're able to deconstruct the emotions and the triggers behind it, then we can say, okay, I have overvalued work. I don't want to work 70 hours a week. And it's almost like a negative or taboo to think about working less, like they've been disciplined to work more. One thing that we all recognize is our best ideas never come when we're stressed out. It's not when, you know, you're in court for, you know, 40 hours a week and you're burning the candle and getting phone calls. It's not like that's when you have an aha moment. We rarely have aha moments when we're stressed out and maxed out. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the elite legal marketing agency. Each week you get insights and wisdom from some of the best in the industry. On these special Toolkit Tuesdays, we dive deep into conversations with the leading vendors and attorneys in the legal sphere. The masterminds behind the technologies, services, and strategies to help law firms not just survive, but thrive in today's competitive landscape. Now, this isn't about selling you the latest software or getting kickbacks from affiliate links. For your staff, for your clients, and for you, this is Toolkit Tuesday on PIM, your weekly guide to staying sharp in the legal world. Let's go. Grit and determination. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a lot of both, but unchecked hustle can lead to burnout. And rarely do we have brilliant ideas and breakthrough moments when we're completely burnt out. Our best thinking happens when we slow down and give our minds space to wander freely. So how can we create more of those aha moments? At the end of the day, all we have is the same 24 hours. It's up to us to use them wisely. Today's guest, Joe Sanek, offers simple yet powerful approaches to slow down and get the most out of each day. Host of the Practice of the Practice podcast, Joe is a TEDx speaker, business consultant, and five-time author. His latest book, Thursday is the New Friday, explains how service providers can earn more while working less. Here's Chief Vision Officer at Practice of the Practice, Joe Sanek. Both my parents worked in the schools. My, my dad was a school psychologist. My mom was a school nurse. The message I always got as a kid was, do really well in school and someone's going to hire you. Uh, and so I did. I you know, did honors college, got a double master's degree, went and worked in the nonprofit world. And I remember when I was working as a foster care supervisor, um, I started to get this twitch under my eye. It was so stressful. I was on call all the time. These kids were just having such tough lives. The staff were fresh out of college and often so underprepared for just the trauma they were going to experience. And I started this side gig counseling practice. It was literally just to pay off student loan debt and to be able to afford a another like a mattress like a new mattress like let's save up a thousand dollars for a new mattress and it takes months and months to do it uh and to whittle away at that student loan debt and as it grew uh, i eventually got a job at a community college and um, was working over there and was having interns underneath me in the counseling department and those interns after they graduated needed a supervisor and oftentimes said hey joe will you be our supervisor and so as i was their supervisor their natural next question was hey you have this private practice can i work there so I quickly became a group practice owner while I had a full-time job. And I remember uh, in 2014, I signed a lease for this side gig practice. I then had three 1099 contractors. So got this four office suite, had a view of the water. I ran over there during lunch from the co community college and I'm doing a session there and then run back and I go to my basement office with no windows at the college. And I realize I'm making more money at this side gig counseling practice than I am at this full-time job. So luckily I, I had a daughter at that time, used the full family medical leave act to be able to test out where I worked half time at the college to be able to just pay for, you know, the healthcare and just have some basic income. And each month was better than, than the next. And at the end of the FMLA left on great terms with my boss. She, she saw what was happening. She knew I wasn't going to stick around forever. 
um, left with their blessing and really never looked back. And throughout that process, though, started a podcast so that I could just interview people and not have to pay them. So I started a podcast and now we're almost up to a thousand episodes of that podcast. So you're the chief vision officer for practice of the practice. You offer one-on-one coaching, uh, you offer podcast launches and podcast services and event and website services. So kind of give us the, the overview of your business, what you guys provide. Yeah. So our, our core kind of signature programs are our membership programs. And so from the moment someone thinks I want to start a private practice all the way until they're selling, exiting, going national, we have programs along that whole user journey. So uh, at the very beginning, we have next level practice. It's $99 per month. It's a membership program that people stay in as long as they want to. So similar to Netflix, uh, most people are as full as they want to in their solo practice within four to five months. And so we have small groups as a part of that. We have weekly teachings. We have a whole host of e-courses, uh, live events with with experts we bring in, um, and then they get discounts on services like website design. So uh, we've got several hundred people that are in that that are paying a hundred bucks a month. Once they get full or are close to full, the next question is like, when do I add my first clinician, either W2 or 1099? And so then we have a six month program called group practice launch. And so people sign up for that program. Uh, that's 250 a month for that six months. Um, so $1,500 for six months, uh, but they're guaranteed to make their first hire in those six months, or they can come back through that program for free as long as it takes. Most people make two to three hires in their first six months uh, to just go from solo to group. So we walk them through that whole process. There's e-courses that support it, small groups, all accountability partners. Then after that, we have group practice boss. So that's 150 a month at the time of this recording. So similar model to next level practice where we have the weekly meetings, but they get access to everything below it. So they get 12 meetings a month uh, if they want to go to it. That's way too much for anyone. They shouldn't be going through that much training. You should be implementing more than that. All the e-courses, all, all the small groups. So all the support you need to be running a group practice at that point. And then after that, we have Audience Building Academy. So that's people that want to go national. They want to start a podcast. They want to be an influencer. They want to take their trauma expertise and go out to the world, get a book deal. Um, so we help them build an audience first because most people that are highly intelligent have gone through grad school. They start with the product first. Like, I want to sell this mastermind. I want to sell this thing. And they sketch the whole thing out and then they don't have any audience that even wants that. And so when you build an audience first with, with Audience Building Academy or on your own, your audience will tell you what they want to buy. You know, they'll, they'll tell you, here's the pain I'm feeling. Here's the product I wish that you had. And here's the price I'm willing to pay. And then you can say, okay, I can do that. That, that was really easy. Um, and so we help them walk through that process of building their audience. So that's our core. And then we have spinoffs from all of that. So there's one-on-one -on -one consulting. There's some people that say, hey, I inherited some money and I know that uh, starting a practice, I'm not going to make that money right away by hiring a consultant for a thousand bucks a month. But you know what? Like, I just want to launch this thing really fast. And so they'll, they'll hire one of us. Uh, mega group practice might hire us or someone that's leveling up outside of that into doing more public speaking and writing books. So we have four consultants in addition to myself that, that do that work. We have a team of 10 in South Africa that do all the backend support. So websites, social media design, podcasting, kind of anything behind the scenes except for answering the phones. We don't want to touch that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, beyond that, uh, we have little affiliate links and, and things like that, that if people are signing up for hosting, we monetize those as well. Nice, nice. And, and and I really encourage our audience to check out the infographic that you made that kind of divides things in the marketing logistics and in the service itself, I think it's really helpful, especially just the networking aspect of it too, which I find, you know, just, hey, use this tactic. It works. It's proven. It's so funny you bring that that infographic up. That's an infographic that literally in the middle of the night, I got up to go to the bathroom early on. 
in, I was still working at the college. I like wrote down the idea on a piece of paper, went back to bed, totally forgot about it, had no design skills, went into Word, did all those Word bubbles. I'm glad I put practicethepractice.com at the bottom because I think it's been repinned over a million times now. But it literally was one of my first info. I think it was my first infographic I ever did. And it's one that people just find so helpful. And it was just a middle of the night idea that I put up when I first started Practice the Practice and people still reference it. Yeah. And I, I think even the the timelines in the are, are very reasonable. I think that, you know, sometimes you hear like these just crazy things a little bit like SEO is kind of in that six to eight range. And I love it. Everyone should check out that infographic. You know, you offer something different in your events. You have the Slowdown School, a conference for high achieving entrepreneurs. It's a week of planning, work and insight to help business owners kind of refocus. How are you helping these attendees get so much work done in, in just a week. Yeah, I think one thing that we all recognize is our best ideas never come when we're stressed out. It's not when, you know, you're in court for, you know, 40 hours a week and you're, you know, burning the candle and getting phone calls. It's not like that's when you have an aha moment. Uh, we rarely have aha moments when we're stressed out and maxed out. And so just starting with that, that, you know, when we go for a walk, you know, maybe after a workout or you know, we're taking a shower or maybe we go for a drive and we just decide to turn the radio and podcasts off and we're just going to think. For me, it's the first 10 seconds of any meditation. My brain is like, oh, it's time to be quiet. Not going to happen. And I get all these ideas. We all recognize that we have great ideas when we slow down. And, and so I started with that concept five or six years ago with Slow Down School, more on a hypothesis. And what happened to me was just, it shocked me as much as you. I was a skeptic. I wasn't at the beginning saying we're getting this much done in, in you know one week. Um, but what we do is people fly in on Sunday. Uh, we meet together, we talk about our goals for the week, uh, we talk about who we are, uh, we connect on personal levels, and then on Monday and Tuesday, we genuinely slow down. We go for a hike at some of the most beautiful spots in America, the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes National Lakeshore, overlooks Lake Michigan, which most people, when they think of a lake, they think you can see the other side, but it looks like an ocean, which shocks most people that haven't seen the Great Lakes. And then uh, I often bring in a massage therapist who does massages in the middle of the forest. So full on forest bathing, which for some people, they're like, that is out of my comfort zone. For other people, they're like, that sounds awesome. You do whatever you want. If you want to just sit on the beach and you know drink a beer, that's cool too. We bring in an executive chef. Uh, we have a salad bar that's farm to table. They literally grow it there on the grounds. Uh, and so we have amazing food. We have amazing people for those first couple of days. And we're not allowed to talk about business. What happens is day one, people are like, oh my gosh, I flew all the way to Michigan to you know, come to this conference. I spent all this money and time and I'm away from my practice. And they get all amped up. And then by day two, they're like, why the heck don't I do this more? Oh my gosh, I woke up so rested by hiking four miles yesterday, I feel like my body needed that. And they're like, they want to live in that glow forever. And then Wednesday and Thursday and Friday morning, we run full tilt towards their business. And so what naturally happens when we slow down is those best ideas come to the top. The things that maybe on Sunday night, we say, here's my goal. I want to you know, double my revenue next year. Uh, okay. Maybe by Wednesday, they say, my marriage is really bad. I'm working way too much. I want to work on that and figure out my time to work fewer hours but I still want to increase the revenue. And so then there's that clarity that happens where then when we do sprints and I teach them how to figure out their sprint type, how to figure out exactly you know, how they best sprint, we do these 20 minute sprints. And I've seen people that were stuck for months get things done in those 20 minute sprints that they couldn't get done for six months. I had one guy who's in a mastermind group. Every time it was his turn for a hot seat, uh, he wanted to write a book. 
Uh, so he's this amazing marriage therapist in the Chicagoland area, had a huge practice. He was known, he had been all over the country. He hadn't written a book. And there was something about outlining a book that every time he'd have his hot seat, we'd talk through like what to do to take those first steps and he wouldn't do it. And so when we took those 20 minutes, he spent his first 20, he said, Joe, can I talk to you for 20 minutes to plan out my future sprints? So we talked through what to do. And in one sprint after that, he got nine chapters fully outlined in 20 minutes. This thing that had been hanging over his head for six months. And he realized if I have a book that outlines my method, that's going to be a game changer for me. That's going to be a multiplier. It's going to go beyond this. Like I show up, I get paid type of thing. And so over and over, we now see that you know, people have launched businesses. There's a therapist that launched an SEO company there literally by just asking people around saying, I like SEO. Would any of you want to be customers? And she got 10 customers from that group with just literally an idea. And so we see it happen over and over when we slow down, it's actually easier to go kill it and do the right things. That's incredible. You know, I've been to a lot of these retreats and it's most of the time the opposite. Most of the time it's you're doing the workshops and boom, you do like kind of the the activity at the end. It's, it's kind of interesting here in like that, you know, that meditative, like you're not thinking about work and it opens your mind up to creativity. You know, when you're, when you're talking about sprints, are you talking about like agile scrum? Are you talking more like maybe work blocks, workflows like Pompadour, uh, that method, like like how do you define a sprint? Yeah. So we keep it really simple. All we say is for 20 minutes, we're going to work on something. <laughs> so like literally like there's all these different ways that people conceptualize it for me and like whatever works for them. But within Slowdown School, it's what's one big thing that you've decided you want to do. So for example, you know, Michael, who he did the book, this book had been hanging over his head over and over for two days. It's like, I got to work on the book. So Okay, let's break that down into 20 minute segments of things you think you can probably achieve in that period of time. So we do a quick standing meeting with everyone, go around. All right, what are you going to achieve during this 20 minutes? Anywhere you got stuck. So we spend two to three minutes just quickly, like anyone stuck? What do you need help with? And then they go for 20 minutes, raise your hand if you're stuck. I float around with all the participants. And then we come back together after those 20 minutes, usually stopping midstream so that we're still in that flow state and then just go back into it. For me, I think there's lots of great techniques out there that we can borrow from, but really like, what are you gonna get done in 20 minutes? If you're stuck, let me know. Kind of segueing right into that is, you know, you get the new book, it's Thursdays and new Friday, and it's all about making money, only working four days a week. And I started off like, there's a little bit of of the skeptic, right? Most of our attorney listeners, like they're, they're grinding. Like they, many of them, even when they're doing their core values exercises, they have true grit as like one of those values. And it's almost like a negative or taboo to think about working less, like they've been disciplined to work more. So what are your arguments against that? What what have you found of this idea of working less, but being more productive? Yeah, I think one thing we need to look at, even before we get into that is, where does that come from? The industrialists taught us that people are machines. They taught us we plug it in, we get a certain outcome. The, the Model T kicks out of the assembly line. You know, 1926, that's when Henry Ford instituted the 40-hour work week. It was specifically to give people the weekends so they would buy cars from him, even if they worked for him. So, so the industrialists taught us that you're a machine. As an attorney, you have output. You get paid for that output. We then now look and we say, right now, we are living in a post-industrialist world. Like I would hope most people value people beyond what they can achieve. Uh, there's many areas of what the industrialists taught us that we have deconstructed. Yet there are still very valuable things that they gave us. And so there are lots of jobs, such as an attorney, where 
If you don't show up, you don't get paid. If you don't work, you don't get paid. So that's very similar to therapists, uh, to counselors. You know, if we don't show up, we don't get paid either. Where I think the problem is, and we'll get into the four day work week, is that we haven't set up for ourselves what is enough? What are the goalposts? So do I want to make 200K a year? Okay, then how many weeks a year do I need to work? How many hours a week? How many billable hours? How many marketing hours? How many things I do get paid for, don't get paid for? To know what those goalposts are. Now, when I look at that and the kind of life I want to live, do I want to live that way? It's so tempting when we get a phone call at 8 p.m. from a client saying, like, this crisis is happening to take that call. Now, we get to decide as business owners if we want to do that. You know, part of especially, you know, attorneys is having that hustle, being available, being able to, when your client's in crisis, you know, talk to them and you build high rates for that as you should. Now, but being able to say, here are the boundaries for me, here are the boundaries that I articulate to my clients, then allows us to say, what kind of life do I want to live? Which then gets us into like, why are we working this much? Now there you referenced that for a lot of people, that's really hard to not hustle so much. That's part of their ingrained grit that they have. That's true for a lot of people. And I talk, you know, in a whole chapter about the overvaluing of work in American society and the undervaluing of fun. And so doing just some really simple experiments to think about, is this the life I want to live? Uh, I have this plus one, minus one exercise where when you go into the weekend, whatever that looks like, if your weekend's one day, you look at what's one thing I could add to this day that may add more value to my weekend than in the past. I want to try something new. So it could be, I want to tell my kids that I want to go drink coffee and read a you know book that's not about business. I'm you know really into sci-fi, whatever. I just want to do that for an hour on a Saturday morning and just not be interrupted by those dang kids. Okay, let's give that a whirl. Um, do you feel better? Do you feel more prepared for your week when you do that? And then the minus one is let's take one thing out of your schedule from the weekend. Maybe you do your grocery shopping every Sunday and you hate battling the crowds and you're an attorney that's charging all these rates. You probably could just have your groceries delivered. Try that for a Sunday and see if you feel better. So what you mentioned about conferences where we work hard and then we have the play at the end is how we often think. We reward ourselves after doing hard work. And so often what times what happens is our weekend is in reaction to the week before instead of in preparation for the week ahead. We don't say, okay, what can I do this weekend that's going to make me set up for success next week? Instead, it's I am so freaking tired. I just need to have a drink and watch Netflix. Okay, that may be what you need. But also, is that preparing you for Monday morning? And if not, what do you want to adjust over that weekend? So once we're able to deconstruct the emotions and the triggers behind it, then we can say, okay, I have overvalued work. I don't want to work 70 hours a week. The amount of money that I'm making is as much as I want or I want to make more. So maybe I have to raise my rates. Maybe I have to change my marketing, find new clients, whatever. But then starting to say, what are the hard and soft boundaries around this? And if I worked fewer hours but wanted to make the same amount of money, what would that look like? It's important for us to dig into that emotional side of how we got here before we even say, here's the techniques of what to do. There's so much to unpack there. It makes me think of Mike Michalowicz's book, Profit First, and it's like taking the, the fun and then creating the life around that instead of taking profit after the fact, after you pay expenses. So it's it's similar type of concept, and I really love that. You mentioned the billable hour. Does this make you gravitate more to the value-based fees model and not cost plus and get away from that billable hour? Have, have you even taken that into account into creating this type of outcome? Yeah, absolutely. So with my consulting, people could look at that and say, well, it's X number of dollars per hour. Over time, though, we've said, well, what are people 
asking for? What helps them get that outcome they're looking for? So the typical person will do six months of consulting with me. It'll be $1,500 a month or so. And the actual time I'm spending on it is about 60 minutes total in that month. But how do I give someone $1,500 worth of value where they say that return on investment is through the roof? So we have different mastermind groups that I don't run, that I have an accountability coach run, that is other people around that same phase of practice or business. We have all sorts of a whole library of courses that we've created. We have a whole library of experts we've brought in, people like Mike. You know, he did an hour long Ask the Expert. So people get access to these things to make their consulting more effective and to get better outcomes in that by having it not just be talking to Joe twice a month for 30 minutes. And so even just you know starting to think through like, where are there opportunities within my practice to say, sure, you get my billable hours, but are there extra supports, extra things, you know, paperwork that is very common that you can start to streamline? How can we implement some AI as a part of this where you're still spending time on it, being the final eyes and ears to make sure that everything is, is legally done correctly and that it's not entirely your own time that's going into every outcome that you're working on. I think that, you know, the expertise perspective from that, I, I heard, I can't remember which book I read, but it was like some piece of equipment wasn't working and the guy came in and he analyzed it and like hit the hammer once and it worked and charged like a thousand bucks. And he's like, no, you, you, you're paying me for my expertise and all the knowledge that I acquired to learn where to hit the hammer. So you mentioned some leverage there. You, we're talking about value-based fees. You mentioned some leverage from AI. AI is all the, all the topic, all the rage right now. Are, are there certain aspects of AI that you're implementing in your practice to help you be more productive? Yeah. So one thing that I've been doing recently, and it's more me just testing it out before I give it to the team. So eventually this will be a team member that does it. But just in between podcasts and, and meetings, if I have 15 minutes, uh, I've been making very specialized uh, authoritative posts around particular topics. Uh, so for example, just did one of uh, how to start a counseling business in California. Uh, and so I told AI, I want a 2000 word article on this. But then once I got the first draft, you know, it was pretty basic. It was, you know, set up your legal framework. And it's like, I know that in California, like there's certain things that like counselor can't be an LLC in California. It's just, you can't, but the AI didn't pick up on that. So then you know, I went to other websites and attorney websites and quoted them and filled that in. But it took eight minutes to maybe build this 3000 word article all about California. And so building those lead generators that are highly, highly specific. That's one thing I've been doing lately. Even just, you know, anytime that I have any sort of presentation, I have it at least start in AI. So I would say it's more of an initial brainstorm, that energy that goes into, okay, I'm presenting on this particular topic. I need 20 slides on this, sketch out what I should say in each slide. Then, you know, I put that into a Google Doc, share that with our, our marketing team who builds out all the slides from there. You know, I've obviously put my own content, my own stories into it. But that initial brainstorm energy is, is where we've been uh, at least testing AI right now with um, a mostly information-based uh, information consulting and podcast. So you're the host of the Practice of the Practice podcast. You know, this it seems like it's mostly geared towards counselors, but but I imagine there's considerable overlap just in the professional services space. What can an attorney expect to learn if they tune in? Unlike a lot of the other therapy type podcasts that are 100% just about how do you run a practice? What are the nuts and bolts of it? If I find something interesting, I want to interview someone and the lens that I go through just happens to be the lens of private practice. For a lot of people that are in massage therapy or attorneys or dentists, uh, they get tremendous value too because you know, we're talking about some sort of service-based business and how do we find that to be successful? And to me, the, the basic core is 
There's people that don't know you exist that need your services and in some way they need to find you. That's mostly networking and marketing. There's lots of things we can cover in networking and marketing. And then the other half of it is what happens after someone contacts you? What's the user experience? What are the operations? What are the workflows? And so if we just look at any service-based industry and say, how do people find you? Then what happens? I mean, that's your people. That's my people. And then I can interview people through the lens of a counseling private practice, but it's applicable to, to anyone else. So I've interviewed Mike Michalowicz talking profit first. I've interviewed Pat Flynn to talk passive income, interviewed Dr. Julie Schwartz-Gottman to talk about marriage therapy. And a lot of people that are just practice owners saying, you know, here's how I think through it. To me, whether it's in our membership communities or the podcast, I believe that as a community, we're going to be way smarter than I ever would be. So to just say, hey, how are you doing this? Like, how are you thinking through it? Even though, you know, you're podcasting to a different audience, you know, Chris, how do you think through podcast sponsorships? How do you think through um, when you do affiliate links or joint ventures or don't you? When do you sell your own products? Like those kind of conversations across industries, we can learn so much from each other. And then I have a lens, I'll view it through and you have a lens, you'll view it through. And then we're both better because of that relationship. Yeah, the, those questions are exactly what I think about too, right? And, and and you're right. I use it as a feedback loop, right? So I think this is an amazing conversation. We're talking about you know productivity. I'm I'm just learning so much from our conversation, but it's the best form of knowledge that you can obtain because you can take your curiosity to that to that level and ask the real experts on the topic. So on podcasting, how do you think about sponsorships? I think about OPM, right? And I could if I sold pot sponsorships. Even, you know, a 30 second mid roll is someone really going to tune out because there's a 30 second mid roll, but could potentially allow me the funds to maybe invest in other entrepreneurs to to pay for them to come on the show or to enhance distribution or the quality and, and expand our team. So how do you think about those types of components as it relates to podcasting? Yeah, I think one of the problems with the typical model of cost per thousand is that that's based on a Joe Rogan type show uh, where it's the huge audience and you're getting 30 bucks per thousand people for shows like yours and shows like mine. If we start with, okay, how many regular listeners do we have per episode? So just base, really basic. So even if it's a hundred people, that's not a bad thing when you're looking at sponsorship, when you're hyper, hyper niched. And then, you know, what's the average net worth or income of that, of that individual. And so thinking about if I have therapists that are listening, and you know they're charging $150 to $200 per counseling session per 45 minutes. If I can save them 45 minutes with some product, theoretically, that product should then be worth 200 bucks for that hour. If they understand just basics of simple ROI and their time, and you know there is some teaching of your audience there. Uh, so, so for me, just starting with what are all the things that people ask me that have potential products that they could speed things up? So websites, for example. Brighter Vision is one of our sponsors. They specifically make websites for counseling therapists. Therapy Notes, they have an electronic health records that's only for therapists. They're across the whole US. Um, you know, we take the receptionist. So they have this iPad thing where instead of people coming and sitting in your lobby and then all the therapists awkwardly put their heads out like ostriches, the person checks in like at a professional doctor's office and put in their date of birth and then a text goes to someone. So finding those things like that. And then, you know, we're having people pay a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars per episode for that mention and doing three episodes a week. And so then we have more than enough to be able to have a professional team to say, how do we keep raising the bar? We have a sponsor coordinator that every single month follows up with our sponsors and says, here's what went live this month. Here are all the links. Here's what's happening next month. You know, your plan includes all of these things. So they never have to question 
wait, did, did you do the social media post? Did you not do the social media post? And even by doing that, we just were talking at the time of this recording with all the people for next year in regards to their sponsorships. Over and over, we keep hearing you guys communicate better than any of our other sponsors. So they keep wanting to increase their sponsorship. And so that's how we do multi six figure sponsorships because we keep reinvesting at each phase. So I didn't have a person early on. It was all me because it was just me, you know, and then hired a, a sound engineer and then hired show notes people and then hired, you know, and just slowly did that hiring. You know, a lot of that now AI is helping with. And then to fund it, we're like, you know, we know how to do this. There's lots of different uh, podcasters out there. Why don't we quietly offer to other podcasters that we can take over their show and do all the behind the scenes? So, you know, we've got you know, at any given time, five to 10 podcasts that we're supporting that then that helps fund my team as well. That's that's incredible. Then you could maybe do the podcast network and do the uh, dynamic ad insertion and go that route. You know, for the for the attorney listening, we've kind of got this split dynamic, right? We've got the 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 large volume practice that's advertising a lot direct to consumer that's doing the TV, the radio, the billboards. And we got this other that maybe is getting a lot of peer referrals right They're They're litigating these very intensive cases and they're they're low volume for the high volume business, is this a great avenue for them from a, a direct consumer perspective? It, it's it's definitely phenomenal for the litigator, right? For those referrals, getting your authority out there, but but isn't an avenue for the for the B2C players. Yeah, I think that you really have to be careful in that area because when you look at how much just in time it costs to put on a podcast. So say you had an attorney doing a podcast, you look at what their hourly could have been. You look at how much cost goes into the average podcast, you know, 100 to $200 per podcast if you're going to just outsource all of it. And I always like to think through A-B testing whenever you're looking at any marketing. So, you know, say it's $700 for that one hour of podcasting. If we put $700 just into Google ads and then compared those two, how's that going to perform? You know, for most of those kind of larger practices, it's often so regional that you, you'd be better off having a regional podcast, you know, hire some college student to say like, you know, a history of crazy accidents that have happened in Northern Michigan, you know, and then it's like brought to you by, you know, these accident attorneys, something like that, that's going to be highly specialized in an area. Um, if that's where your audience is, you know, because lots of places, you know, aren't going to be across the entire nation, but podcasts inevitably will be. And so what happens if you get people from states that you're not licensed in or other places? And sure, maybe you could expand. But I would say as a direct marketing tool, I would say podcasting wouldn't be my first area to typically kind of spend time with such kind of niched in area or topics. Joe, this has been amazing. And, you know, just one final question here. What's next for your business and where can people go to find you? Yeah. So we spent the last year and a half really working on our operations so that we wouldn't have cracks if we grew. Uh, and so for me as a innovator, startup guy, I like new ideas. That was very hard for me to walk through that process. But I'm so glad we did because now we have the systems to really scale. So we just did this thing called Level Up Week where it's our big sales event. But really, we're, we're in a growth phase uh, where we're looking at the products that we already offer. Instead of launching too many new ones, we just dive in and offer those. We all, we have found that people after group practice boss, when they're at that seven figures, are asking like, what do you have for us? So we're offering this um, seven figure practice club that we're going to be uh, opening up in January 2024 for 12 people. So that's a new product. But for the most part, 
It's we're going to just keep doing what we're doing and growing. And the team is reining me in from too many new ideas, which I think is good. You know, we need to do what's working. We need to find that 20% that gives us 80%. Really, for me, it's been a full circle back to that kind of scrappy when it would just was me of saying like, okay, like I'm going to just when I'm working, I'm going to run. I'm not going to outsource everything to the team. I'm going to get my hands dirty again. For a while there, I had outsourced almost everything and wasn't working a whole lot, which was great. But also I felt so disconnected from the business. I have a a new energy around it and just kind of that original scrappiness. Thanks so much to Joe for sharing his insights. Let's go over those takeaways. Stop, take a breath. When you're stressed out and juggling a million tasks, your focus is on keeping all the balls in the air, not innovating. Pause, strategically. Taking a breather can unlock creativity, enhance productivity. We rarely have aha moments when we're stressed out and maxed out. And so just starting with that, that you know, when we go for a walk, you know, maybe after a workout or you know, we're taking a shower, or maybe we go for a drive and we just decide to turn the radio and podcasts off and we're just going to think. For me, it's the first 10 seconds of any meditation. My brain is like, oh, it's time to be quiet. Not going to happen. And I get all these ideas. We all recognize that we have great ideas when we slow down. Rethink free time. Are your weekends a reaction to the past week or are you proactively setting yourself up for success? I have this plus one, minus one exercise where when you go into the weekend, whatever that looks like, if your weekend's one day, you look at what's one thing I could add to this day that may add more value to my weekend than in the past. I want to try something new. So it could be, I want to tell my kids that I want to go drink coffee and read a you know book that's not about business. I'm you know really into sci-fi, whatever. I just want to do that for an hour on a Saturday morning and just not be interrupted by those dang kids. Okay, let's give that a whirl. Do you feel better? Do you feel more prepared for your week when you do that? And then the minus one is let's take one thing out of your schedule from the weekend. Maybe you do your grocery shopping every Sunday and you hate battling the crowds and you're an attorney that's charging all these rates. You probably could just have your groceries delivered. Try that for a Sunday and see if you feel better. Look for efficiencies. If you notice that you're doing a task over and over, can it be automated? Can AI step in to take the lion's share of that work? While the AI output isn't perfect, it provides a solid starting point that you can refine and customize. AI can save you hours of manual work. If I have 15 minutes, I've been making very specialized uh, authoritative posts around particular topics. Uh, So for example, just did one of how to start a counseling business in California. Told AI I want a 2000 word article on this. But then once I got the first draft, it was pretty basic. It was, you know, set up your legal framework. And it's like, I know that in California, like there's certain things that like a, a counselor can't be an LLC in California. It's just, you can't. But the AI didn't pick up on that. So then you know, I went to other websites and attorney websites and quoted them and filled that in. But it took eight minutes to maybe build this 3000 word article all about California. And so building those lead generators that are highly, highly specific. All right, everybody. I hope we added a few more tools to your kit. For more about Joe and practice of the practice, head on over to the show notes. While you're there, leave me a five-star review. I'll be forever grateful. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind with me, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. Catch you next time. I'm out.